what we've got with our volunteers is that if we've got, you can imagine, five, five people or five groups, and, um, and those five groups represent, each group represents 20% of the world or a fifth of the world. So if we split the world up into five equal groups in terms of the number of people, um, this is what I want you to imagine. Okay, so uh, Miriam's going to help me uh, with this chocolate. This, this chocolate, we've got five, although you've got to pretend that's a chocolate bar. It's actually a yogurt-based cereal bar, but um, I ran out of chocolate this morning. Um, so so each, each of these chocolate bars represents a fifth or 20% of the world's resources. So if you think about resources, we're talking about money, talking about food, talking about kind of precious things we get out of the ground. So um, there we go. If the world was a fair place, how would we, how would we spread that out? One each. Okay, so shall we start with that, please, Miriam? Don't eat it yet. Okay, so if the world was a fair place, everybody would have an equal amount. So the richest, the richest or the poorest, whoever we, want, we wouldn't talk in those sort of terms, would we? Everybody would have an equal amount. Each 20% of the people would have 20% of the wealth. So everyone would have the same. Now the world isn't a very fair place, okay? And things aren't spread out in that sort of way. Actually, some people are a lot richer than other people. So if at this end of the row we said that the, 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 at this end we've got the, the wealthiest people, the richest people, and going along the line it gets poorer and poorer and poorer. So let's start with the richest 20% of people, the richest fifth. Of the, of the world's population. How many chocolate bars, if we're using them to illustrate the world's resources, how many chocolate bars do you think they would have? Any ideas? Five. <laughs> okay. So, so someone thinks five. Any, any other ideas? For? So the question is, how, how many chocolate bars? We've got a chocolate bar for, for 20%... 20% of the world's resources, so how many chocolate bars do you think that the wealthiest people in the world would have? How many? 20%, so you think just one, okay, it's a little bit more than that, 20, we've only got five, three, okay, the answer is, the answer is they have four, four, okay, so if, if you so at this end, okay, you need four chocolate bars, okay. So that means now we only have one chocolate bar to spread between the other four people, okay. So think about this for a moment. 20% of the people who live in the world have 80% of the world's resources. That's, that's the reality of our world, okay. And the rest we have to spread between everyone else. So what about the next richest people? Of the one chocolate bar that's left, how much of that chocolate bar do you think they get? Different ideas? Someone said half. That, that's correct. They actually get half. So, Miriam, are you okay to split up that, um, that chocolate bar? So the next person gets half of the chocolate bar. So three of the six chunks. 
Okay, what about the middle? So how many chunks have we got left now? We've got, got three left. Got three chunks left. Okay, what about the middle? So the people in the middle who aren't the poorest or the richest, how many of the three chunks do you think they get? Two? Two is the correct answer. So they get two. The next person gets two chunks. Okay, so now for the poorest 40%, so almost half of the world, we've only got one chunk, okay? What, how do we split that chunk, do you think? What do you think they get? They get what? 40%, okay, it's, it's pretty close. One third, yeah. So it's actually the second richest, the second poorest group actually get two thirds. This is very difficult, Miriam, I'm gonna hope that you uh, can crunch up that, that, that chunk. Okay, so the next, the second poorest group get a third of a chocolate chunk, which means that there's only a third, it's actually less than a third of one chunk that's left for the poorest people in the world. Okay, so we've, we've distributed it. Okay. So the richest people, they've got, they've got 80% of what we had, 80% of the wealth. The next person has got half a chocolate bar, half a chunk. The, the middle group have only got, have only got um, two chunks, and then the, the, the next two have got thir uh, two thirds and then a third. As we think about this, this is kind of a, 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 a literal, a visual representation of what the world is like. As, as you look at that, how does it make you feel? Sad? Any other words? How does it make you feel? Unhappy? Anything else? What about you guys who've got the chocolate? Make you feel how this has been spread out? <laughs> Do we feel sad? Frustrated? Anybody feel angry about this? Yeah, might feel a little bit angry. Yeah, yeah. So we feel kind of motivated, like we want to sort this out if we can. That's really good. What, what would it take for us to sort this out? What needs to happen? What do we need to do? Yeah? So, it's gonna, so if we sort this out, then the, the richest have got to share more of what they've got, haven't they? Do you think that'll be easy for the, for the richest people or, or difficult? Easy. Some of us might find it easy. Some people might find it hard, mightn't we? Okay, what I'm going to do then is, um, I don't want you to eat it because I don't want to get into trouble with anyone's parents or anything, but... Those, you can go and sit down and you can keep the chocolate that you've got, whatever you've got, but it's up to you later on this morning and after the service what you do with it. So I'm not telling you you've got to share it, but I'm leaving it with you. It's up to you. Okay, can we give a round of applause to our volunteers? Brilliant. So... So all kinds of different feelings when we think about the world and, and the way that it's not very fair. And, and Christian Aid, the organisation that I, that I work for and represent, is, is one of those organisations that tries to do something about it, that tries to make a difference. 
And we're, we're a Christian organisation. We were set up by all the churches in the UK almost 70 years ago. So Christian Aid was set up by the churches in this country to try and do something about the world not being very fair. And there were all kinds of different parts of the Bible that we could look at to, to kind of help us think about what we should do. And we're just going to hear one part of the Bible. It's from uh, the book of James. And um, I think Luke is going to read it to us. And um, uh, just have a listen to these words and think about what this might say to us as we think about the world and whether it's fair or not. So yes, the readings from James and chapter 2 is on page 291. And we're going to start at verse 14. Faith and actions. My brothers and sisters, what good is it for people to say that they have faith if their actions do not prove it? Can that faith save them? Suppose there are brothers or sisters who need clothes and don't have enough to eat. What good is there in your saying to them, God bless you, keep warm and eat well, if you don't give them the necessities of life? So it is with faith. If it is alone and includes no actions, then it is dead. But someone will say, one person has faith, another has actions. My answer is, show me how anyone can have faith without actions. I will show you my faith by my actions. Do you believe there is only one God? Good. The demons also believe and, you, and tremble with fear. You fool. Do you want to be shown that faith without actions is useless? How was our ancestor Abraham put right with God? It was through his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. Can't you see? His faith and his actions worked together. His faith was made perfect through his actions. And the scripture came true that said, Abraham believed God. And because of his faith, God accepted him as righteous. And so Abraham was called God's friend. You see then, that, is by, that it is by people's actions that they are put right with God and not by their faith alone. Brilliant. So there are, there are loads of different things that we could say um, about that reason, but I think the basic thing is this, that when we think about the world not being very fair, I think that, that the Bible in that part of James is saying to us, it's not enough just to say, oh no, that's a shame, but actually we need to do something about it. We need to put our faith in God into action and do something. And Christian Aid is, is an organisation that tries to do that and we're set up by the church to do that. And just as an example, tiny little example of some of the work that we do, just want to show you a video about a little boy in a country in South America called Bolivia. It's a little boy called Walter and just listen and, and look at what Walter's doing and how we as Christian Aid are helping him and his family and, and trying in a very small way to make the world a fairer place.
My name is Walter Goodyear Sarsosa. My community is Suja Pampa and my country is Bolivia. Walter lives in the countryside. Not many people live there. There are hardly any cars or buses. Walter's house is made of mud bricks and his family cook on a stove which is made of mud. Walter eats potatoes every day for every meal. Can you imagine how boring it must be to eat potatoes all the time? Walter's very busy. As well as going to school and playing, he has to help his family grow the food they need to eat. Sometimes his family can't grow enough potatoes for them to eat all year round. So now, Walter is helping his dad to build a greenhouse where he can grow enough fresh vegetables for his whole family. First, Walter digs the mud. Then he mixes in some water. He adds some straw. And he puts the mixture in a mould called an adobera. They leave the bricks overnight to dry. A Bolivian charity supported by Christian Aid will help Walter's family buy the things they need for the greenhouse. A door, the plastic roof, and of course the seeds to grow the vegetables. And not the mud bricks, of course. This is the half-finished greenhouse. No, now we don't eat many vegetables, but we will be able to grow all kinds of vegetables here, carrots, lettuce, and onions. Eating vegetables is good for you, so the greenhouse will help keep the whole family well. Soon, Walter's greenhouse will look like this, full of happy plants. Walter works hard, but his hard work will pay off. That's just one small example of some of the work that, that Christian Aid is involved in. It's just one of about 600 projects that we help to support around the world, helping to make the world a fairer place because we believe that all of us, whoever we are, we're all loved by God. And, um, and so we need to, to put that into practice and to make sure that people experience all that they should do as, as children of God. And um, we're going to think about that in our next song as well. The words are going to come up on the screen. We're going to think he's got the whole world in his hands as we think about the, the youngest to the oldest, as we think about us here in Lenten today, think about Walter in Bolivia and everyone in between. So let's, let's stand and sing together.
going to take up our offering now for God's work here and around the world. Great, shall we pray together? Father, thank you so much for all that you give to us. Um, It's wonderful to think of all the things that we enjoy. Sometimes we take them for granted. But we we want to say this morning, we're so grateful. Would you you take this small offering of what we give back to you uh, this morning? And would would you take our time and our energies, our talents and our time, and would you use it to your glory uh, to bring in your kingdom here in Lenten, in Nottingham, in this country, and all over the world. And we pray also that you be with uh, the children and the young people as they go to young church. We pray that you bless them and be with them. We pray that whether we're carrying on here in this bit of the building or whether we're going elsewhere, that, that you would be with us and we carry on meeting with you and learning more about you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. So the young people are going to go and... Um, the rest of it is sticking around. Great. Well, um, as I, um, as I was saying earlier, it's really good to be with you this morning, and, um, and I just want to share a little bit from, from the Bible, and, and, and share a little bit about the work of Christian Aid and what it's all about, and, um, and hopefully for you, if you've ever supported Christian Aid in any way, whether you've prayed a prayer or taken part in a, in a campaign, and maybe you've given some money, whatever you've done, hopefully this morning will be an encouragement to you um, as you hear a little bit about how we use uh, what you've offered and if you've never been involved before, then maybe it acts as a bit of an inspiration to you, maybe to get involved. 
uh, for the first time. There are lots of ways to do that. Um, and, and hopefully it will be uh, interesting. The next sort of 15 or 20 minutes you'll find quite interesting. I do this kind of thing all over the place in different churches and at different groups. And, and you kind of always hope and pray that you know, people are engaged in what you're saying. I was at a church in Skegness about a year ago, one evening, and, and together with a colleague we were talking about various things, um, doing what we thought was a fairly fast-moving, interesting multimedia presentation. But halfway through, the local Anglican vicar uh, just got up and walked out. And I had to phone him the next morning because he'd, he'd asked for some resources. And when I spoke to him, before he said anything else, he said, oh, Nick, I'm so sorry, I had to leave last night. And I said, oh, no, it's fine, it's fine, don't worry. And, uh, and I expected he would say, you know, oh, I had to go to a, there was an urgent pastoral matter or had some family emergency. And, and he said, Nick, I'm, I'm so sorry I had to leave last night when I did. Um, it was just that I was literally falling asleep in my chair. I don't, I don't quite know how you respond to that. I was so, th- I was so thrown, I said, oh, uh, thank you. Uh, <laughs> So anyway, hopefully this morning you won't fall asleep in your chair. Try and keep it moving along. Um, we're going to have a reading uh, from Revelation uh, chapter 21, and um, wanted to, to reflect a little bit on this reading as we as we think about uh, justice and the, and the work of Christian aid around the world. reading is from Revelation chapter 21, starting at the beginning. It's on page 328 of the Pew Bibles. The new heaven and the new earth. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and first earth disappeared, and the sea vanished. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared and ready like a bride dressed to meet her husband. I heard a loud voice speaking from the throne. Now God's home is with mankind. He will live with them and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and he will be their God. He will wipe away all the tears from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more grief or crying or pain. The old things have disappeared. Then the one who sits on the throne said, And now I make all things new. He also said to me, Write this, because these words are true and can be trusted. And he said, It is done. I am the first and the last, the beginning and the end. To anyone who is thirsty, I will give the right to drink from the spring of water of life without paying for it. Whoever wins the victory will receive this from me. I will be his God, and he will be my son. Amen. Amen. It's a really amazing picture, isn't it? It's, it's a vision, it's a, it's a dream, it's a hope. But it's one that we, that we believe in. It's one that we believe will become a reality one day. And, and that reading is, is kind of towards the, the climax of the Bible. It's, it's right in the last two chapters of the Bible. And, and if we're to take... Um, the whole kind of story of the Bible, seriously, the whole kind of big picture, um, it's, it's, it's the climax of, of the vision, of the dream, of the hope that God invites us to be part of. So, so if we take the big picture of, of the Bible, in the beginning we read that, that God made the world and it was perfect. 
But because of the sin, because human beings disobeyed God and did wrong things, then that creation got spoiled. And so God decided to put things to right, and he decided to do it through a nation, through a people, the people of Israel. And he called Abram, and he gave him a new name, and he said, you're going to father this great nation. And I'm going to have a special relationship with you as a nation. I'm going to reveal myself to you so that you can reveal me to the world. I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing to the whole world. And we read about how that plays out throughout the Old Testament, how it kind of works at at certain times and doesn't work at other times. And when we come to the New Testament, we read about how Jesus, God, man, Jesus, fully God and fully man, comes to fulfill everything that Israel was supposed to do in putting the world to right, in, in beginning to establish God's perfect rule and reign, what the New Testament describes as the kingdom of God, that, that dome where God is king. And Jesus, through his, his life and his death and his resurrection, begins to break in the kingdom of God, the rule of God. And we see it in, in when he heals people, when he casts out demons, when he teaches people, when he forgives people, when people are reconciled in relationship with one another, when people come into a relationship with God. Uh, we see it in lots of different ways. And ultimately, like I say, through his life and his death and his resurrection, God's kingdom breaks in. Heaven begins to break in to earth. And, and he taught us to pray, didn't he? Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Something of heaven coming to earth. And, and of course, we live in, in the in-between bit. So Jesus has come, and the world has begun to be put to right. Uh, in, in Romans chapter 8, Paul says that Jesus' resurrection body is the first fruits of, of new creation, of, of God putting things to right, of renewing and making new his creation. But, but it, it, won't, it won't ultimately uh, be fulfilled until Jesus returns, until that that vision that we have of revelation becomes a reality and Jesus returns and wipes away all the tears. And then, as we hear, there'll be no more death. There'll be no more suffering or pain. God will rule perfectly and heaven will be established on earth. And in the meantime, God invites us to, to be part of this vision, to share in this work. And through all that we do, through our, our lives, our time, our money, our relationships, our talents, Everything about us, our words, our thoughts, our actions, God invites us to be part of this big picture, this big vision, this big dream. And and Christian Aid is is part of this vision, part of this dream. As I said um, earlier, Christian Aid was set up by the churches in this country just after the Second World War, so almost 70 years ago, initially to respond to a refugee crisis that um, followed the Second World War, but then in in the next however many years, it it became um, one of the largest development organizations in the UK with a a mandate to work around the world, overseas, in some of the poorest communities, um, to to seek justice and to to work towards this vision. Because you'll see, if you read our website or any of our material, you'll, you'll see it says, inspired by the vision of a new earth, a new heaven. And it's part of this, this dream inspires us to have a vision. And our vision is a world without poverty. It's a world where poverty is eradicated. And, um, and, and that's a, the dream that we have, that's a dream that we work towards. 
And, and so we're working in about 45 countries at the moment around the world, so in Africa, in South America, in Asia, in the Middle East, working to get rid of poverty. And part of what we're about is to, to highlight what we describe as the scandal of poverty in our world, to highlight the kind of thing we were thinking about with the young people a few moments ago, that, that 80% of the world's riches are owned by 20% of the people. And, and that they own vastly more. And we're part of that because we live in, in the richest part of the world. You know, the, the, the kind of things that we enjoy are just far beyond what other people can experience. And so when we think about poverty, we might think about not having enough to eat. We might think about not having enough clothes. We might think about not having adequate shelter. But poverty is so much more than that. Up on the screen, um, hopefully you see a picture of, uh, of some farmers. I was in Burundi, which is a little country in East Africa, in September. And then, um, as part of the, the, the time that I spent there, I was there for 10 days, we met this group of farmers who were growing soya. And they were part of an, an agri agricultural cooperative. And uh, in, in Burundi, the focus of Christian Aid's work is around is, is two areas. And I'll talk about them as we go along. But one of the areas is around food security. Simply means making sure that people have got enough to eat and they can be secure in the knowledge that they'll have enough to eat. So we met with this community, and we talked to them about their project. We, we asked them to explain to us how they farm the soya, um, what their lifestyle is like, what their family life is like. We asked them all these different questions. And we finished by saying to them, what are your hopes and dreams for the future? And our translator, a lady called Immaculate, she translated our question, and, and people just sat there, they didn't say anything. And she, she translated the question again, and a few people said a few things, and she said to us, Immaculate said, they don't understand what you're asking. They can't understand your question. I'm trying to explain it to them. Some of them are saying that they want the project to continue, but I'm saying, no, it's more than that. What do you hope for the future? This went on for five or ten minutes. Confusion, giggling, laughter, people not really sure what to, to answer to our question. And then eventually a lady stepped forward and she said this. She said, my hope for the future is that we would have our own manure. Now, we thought about that as the day went on and as the week went on and, and, and again when we came home. We thought about a lady in answer to the question, what do you hope, what do you dream about, what do you want in the future? really struck us that, that all she could say was, I hope that we'll have some manure, I hope that we'll have some muck. Now, fertilizer is important, isn't it? If you're a farmer, fertilizer is really important. So I'm not denying that manure will be useful. And during my time in Burundi, probably heard more people talking very enthusiastically about manure than I've ever heard uh, you know, at any other time in my life. But, but Think about what you would say in answer to that question. You know, I think about all the time I, I think and, and, and spend planning, plotting, worrying, being excited, being scared about the future. You know, what are your hopes and dreams for your life, for your career, for your retirement, for your children, for your grandchildren, for your house, for where you live, for this church, for this community? Hopes and dreams. I'm sure you've got many of them. I don't think it's fair that simply because of the country that she was born in and the circumstances that she's grown up in, I don't think it's fair that a woman in the same world that I live in 
should, in answer to that question, what are your hopes and dreams, be only able to talk about, about poop. I, I don't want to live in a world like that. It's not fair. And, and, and so you see, poverty isn't just about not having enough to eat or, or, or clothes to wear, but poverty robs people of dignity. Poverty robs people of the ability to, to determine their own lives, to, to be able to, to say, this is how I want to live, and this is where I want to go, and this is what I want to be. Poverty robs people of that. And so, as an organization inspired by the vision of a new heaven and earth, inspired by the ministry of Jesus, we understand, as you do, that, that everyone, all human beings, are made in God's image. And each one of us, whoever we are, wherever we were born, and wherever we live, every one of us has unsurpassable worth. That Jesus died on a cross as an act of absolute, unconditional sacrificial love for each one of us. And so it is everyone's right, therefore, to grow up in the circumstances where they can thrive, where they can fulfill their potential. And unfortunately, our world is, is such that, that that just isn't possible for some people, because some of us have got far more than we need, whereas other people haven't got the basics that they need. And so what motivates us and what kind of underpins our, if you read any of our theology or our kind of analysis of, of poverty, our analysis of what the Bible says, comes back to this idea that, that poverty isn't, it's not enough to say poverty is unfortunate or inevitable. You know, I grew up in, I remember the church I went to, some people would do things and say things and it was a bit like that, that there are poor people in the world, that's a shame, just the way things are can't really do anything about it, but yeah, we, let's do something kind for them, let's raise a bit of money, let's, let's, let's help them out a little bit, because, you know, that's what Jesus would do. Actually, the Bible, I think, kind of points us in a slightly more radical direction, that actually, their poverty, in a large part, is because of our wealth, and if we are to deal with the inequality of the world, then we need to do something a little bit more thoroughgoing than just saying, oh, look at those poor people in Africa, let's, let's give them a bit of, of money. That actually we need to seek justice, as someone was saying earlier, and that we need to work for a fairer world where everyone, wherever they're born, can have the chance to, to reach their potential. And, and as Jesus says in John 10, chapter, verse 10, to, to, to experience life in all of its fullness. So how do we do it? How do we do it? It's a kind of... You know, big, big questions. What we do, and I'll, I'll explain this as, as I talk a little bit about Burundi, um, we, we kind of do three things to try and eradicate poverty. Uh, we, we give aid, we do development work, and we engage in what we describe as advocacy. So uh, let me explain a little bit about those three things really quickly. So we give aid. It's really important when disasters hit, uh, whether they're earthquakes or floods or famines, or whether it's as a result of war, that the people who are impacted by those things and lose their houses or their, their uh, livelihoods, we, that we get to them with the things that they need straight away, like food, like shelter, like clothing. So whether it's refugees fleeing from the troubles in Syria, whether it's people in the Philippines trying to rebuild their lives after typhoon Haiti, or whether it's the people in Burundi who I met who are still in some ways recovering from a civil war which lasted for about 12 years, uh, finished almost 10 years ago, but people are still recovering from that. 
people in those situations need our help. So we, we, we spend a considerable amount of our uh, kind of budget on, on aid to humanitarian disaster situations. And that's really important. But the thing is that the aid in itself won't eradicate poverty, won't get rid of poverty. And actually, sometimes it can have a negative impact if we, if we do it for too long. So if you think about a community that, that doesn't have enough to eat, if we give them aid in the form of food, once they've eaten that food, they're in the same situation that they were when they started. They're a community that hasn't got anything to eat. So we give them some more food, and they eat that food, and they're still in the same situation. They're a community that hasn't got enough to eat. And the problem is, if that goes on for too long, then it can create a dependency. You know, they can begin to depend and rely on the handouts that they are receiving. And if we think about us all being made in God's image and having dignity, that's not actually a, a very good example of treating people with dignity, just giving them handouts. So don't get me wrong, aid is absolutely essential in disaster situations. But we actually spend more money on what we describe as development, empowering communities, investing in communities, training communities, so that they can do things that themselves will rise them up out of poverty. If we look at the second um, picture, it, it's a picture of some honey. So when I was in Burundi, I visited some, uh, some different projects. We've already seen an example of one development project this morning with Walter and his greenhouse. Um, here are two more. One is a, 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 a beekeeping cooperative that I visited in um, Burundi. met a lady called Gloriosa, who'd been keeping bees since she was seven years old. She started doing it with her dad. But one of our major partners in Burundi, the Anglican Church of Burundi, um, trained this community so that they could be more effective in keeping bees. So they, they did a three-day training session in part of their region. They took some of them, including Gloriosa, to um, another part of Burundi where they saw another project where beekeepers were being supported by the Catholic Church. And then they took some of them to Rwanda to see beekeeping there. And the impact that it's had on about 300 people involved in this cooperative is, is profound. And Gloriosa was telling us that previously, in a year, they would be able to produce about five kilograms of honey. Now, because of better equipment, better support from the church, and better training, they're able to produce between 30 and 50 kilograms of honey. And it's really good honey. They gave us some to bring home, and in the autumn I was enjoying it in my porridge. It's really good honey. They've got plans for the future to export it. And, um, and so this is having an impact on their lives. They're not just using it in their medicine and in their food, but they're being able to sell it. And because they work as a cooperative, they decide when they go to market, and they only go when they know they're going to get a good price. And so working together, supported by the church, being trained, better equipment, it's having a massive impact. And it means, we ask them, what, what does it mean to you? And they said, well, it means now that a man said, it means that I can buy clothes for my children. It means now that I have hope of sending my children to school. So the lives of individuals being changed, whole communities being transformed through, through the keeping of bees. That's what we mean when we talk about long-term sustainable development projects, treating people with dignity so that they can be empowered to rise up out of poverty. We look at the next Next picture, um, again, another cooperative that we visited, it's called Warabizi, which means, did you know? It's apparently like the start of a knock-knock joke in Burundi, apparently. 
not quite sure how that works, but uh, did you know uh, an, an agricultural cooperative that has brought together people growing sunflowers? And it's a massive operation. It's a Christian Aid partner. It's been funded by Christian Aid since 2010. There are 11 cooperatives with 400 people in each cooperative. So you're talking about almost 4,500 people involved in this cooperative. Growing sunflowers, they've been trained to, to grow them more effectively, farm them better. They're, they're working together as cooperatives uh, in terms of organizing themselves, uh, growing, uh, harvesting, processing. When we were with them, they just got permission to build a transformation center where they're going to be able to transform the sunflowers into oil, and into animal feed, and into flour, and they're, they're going to be able to sell it. They've got plans for the future to, to keep bees, actually, as well, to, to use uh, chickens, to start using chickens for better fertilizer, so back to the idea of manure, and um, they're going to start keeping cattle in the future as well. So really excited. And the, the, the chief executive of the organization, we said to him, what does it mean to work in, in, in partnership with Christian Aid? Because one really important thing about the way that we work is that we work through partners. So around the world, we don't have hundreds of staff. For example, there's only three or four staff in the Christian Aid office in Burundi. But what we do is we work through partner organizations. So they might be churches, like the ones working with the beekeepers. They might be secular organizations, like Warra Busy. What we do is we fund them, we train them, we invest in them, because it's back to this idea of treating people with dignity. Now, we don't go over to them as the, the rich Westerners, saying this is what you should do, but we invest in people who are living in that country who know what needs to be done and just need a, need a hand in doing it. And we invest in them um, because they're the best place to know what's going to work. And we said to him, what does it mean to work in partnership with Christian Aid? He said, you know, in this country, in Burundi, there's quite a lot of different organizations and they come with money, and sometimes a lot of money, and they, they give that money to organizations. But he said in three or four years can't see any impact of that money. So the difference with Christian Aid is that they're interested in the outcome of their investment. He said that Christian Aid have given us a relatively small amount of money, but they've worked with us, they've trained our staff, they've built our capacity, and so, so now we're able to achieve a lot more through their involvement than we would have done if they'd just thrown some money at us. That's what we mean when we talk about partnership and working with people. So, so aid is really important, but it's not the whole story. Development uh, is, is actually what we spend more time doing. But, but the third thing we do is, is advocacy. And by that, we mean standing with the poorest people and speaking out against the, the systems and the structures that keep people poor. Because however good our aid is and however good our development is, there are still certain structures and systems, big kind of overarching Things, systems that, that, unless we tackle them, will mean that people are still stuck in poverty. So there are two big, massive international campaigns that we're involved in at the moment. But just to explain what I mean by advocacy, let me tell you again about what's happening in Burundi around the other focus of our work in that country, which is around HIV and AIDS. So if we look at the next picture, you'll see at uh, the back of a lady's head, and you'll see a doctor. They're in a health clinic, a HIV testing clinic that's funded again by our partner, the Burundi Anglican Church. And we visited this clinic, it's in the north of the country. And HIV is at epidemic proportions 
an epidemic in Burundi, about 2% of the population are HIV positive. And we met this lady and this doctor. The doctor was showing us around the clinic, and the lady had come to be tested. She's actually coming for the results of the test, which had been for two weeks earlier. And this doctor showed us around the clinic, and he's shown us all these bridges with drugs, computers, a waiting room, and kept going around and saying, this is because of Christian aid. This is because of Christian aid. He'd open a fridge and show us the drugs, say, this is because of Christian aid. So he's really keen to show us that. He's very excited to hear that we're from England, not just because we work for Christian aid, but also because he's a Chelsea fan. And uh, he's very excited to kept wanting to chat about Premier League football, and we kept trying to draw him back to being a doctor in Burundi and what that was all about. But, um, you know, just like me and you, he's, he's passionate about football. And um, anyway, he, he told us all this, and it was great to see. And, and, and in some ways, we could say, you know, it's brilliant. We're, we're, we're addressing the issues around HIV and AIDS in Burundi through providing these free testing clinics. But actually, there's, a, there's an overarching structure, there's a system that needs tackling if we're really to get to the bottom of this problem. That lady explains that she traveled halfway around the country from the capital in the south to get to that clinic. And she did that because she didn't want her husband to know where she was. Because in Burundi, as, as in different parts of the world, there's such stigma around HIV. There's such prejudice. There's such uh, misunderstanding. And, and, and it means that people, particularly men in Burundi, won't go to be tested. So I said that 2% of the population are HIV positive, but, but they think that only 20% of the population has been tested. And so you see, we have to tackle this overarching issue. And one of the ways that we do that in Burundi, if you look at the next slide, is, uh, is through an organization called Religious Leaders Living with HIV. And this guy's called Pastor Tartus. He's a Pentecostal pastor. And he's part of this organization that's been a Christian aid partner for a number of years, religious leaders living with HIV. And he travels around Burundi and also in other parts of Africa, and he preaches, so he goes as a visiting preacher, and and also he shares his testimony. And we heard him, we were in a service um, when we were there, a service that lasted three and three-quarter hours, and uh, it it was a bit of a marathon. And he preached for an hour. We thought, because he, he stood up and he said, I'm going to preach, I'm going to share my testimony, and then we'll have time for questions and answers. And after an hour, he sat down, and we thought, wow, that was quite long. But then half an hour later, he stood up, and he said, having preached, I'm now going to share my testimony. So it was only the first, the first part. But he, um, his testimony was this. Very simply, he spoke very humbly. After preaching very passionately, and I mean like really loud and uh, passionate about the Word of God, he, he, he his testimony is this. He got married, uh, they had uh, a child, they had a second child, uh, and the second child became very ill and died. And then they had a third child, and that child became very ill, and, and they were quite concerned. So he and his wife went to be tested, transpired that they were both HIV positive, and so was their third child, and that third child died, and then his wife died. And he just stood there sharing this, and you can imagine it's very powerful, very emotional so much vulnerability in what he said. And his message was simple. He said, you know, let's not judge people. Let's not get misunderstandings going around about this disease. It's a disease. We need to tackle it. There are drugs to, to, to give people who have it. But guys, we need to get tested. 
And he, that was his message. And people came forward. He did this question and answer session. About 700 people in this church. And people kept coming forward asking questions. And his message was clear. If you're going to get married, get tested. If you're single, get tested. If you're a woman, get tested. If you're a man, get tested. There's no, there's no problem. Go and get tested. His, uh, his, his wife, his new, he's got a new wife now. She's not HIV positive. He's, he's doing quite well. He, he has the retroviral drugs and you know, he's living a relatively uh, normal life. You see, we have to tackle these kind of issues, these kind of structural problems, if we're really going to eradicate poverty. And, and globally, the two, the two um, big campaigns that we're involved in are around climate change, which often impacts the poorest communities disproportionately. And the other one is around tax evasion, because poor countries, developing countries, miss out on billions of dollars in tax revenue every year. And unless we tackle that, then however much aid and development work we do, people are still going to be stuck in poverty. So it's a, it's a big dream. It's part of the big dream of Scripture. But in being part of this, in, in working towards with that vision of a new heaven and a new earth, what we are seeking to do, if you think back to that first lady, that, that lady for own Sawyer, is that we're giving people, all people, the opportunity to have some dreams. And not just to have dreams, but, but, but to fulfill those dreams. And I guess this morning, as much as anything, to say thank you to you if you've supported Christian Aid in any way over the years, and to invite you to, perhaps for the first time or for the hundredth time, to continue to work with us, to dream with us, so that we can enable other people, whoever they are, wherever they are, to have dreams and, and to live lives that will fulfill those dreams. I'm going to talk in a, in a moment after our next song, just a, a few options of, uh, of ways that you can be involved if you want to. And, um, and uh, yeah, just to kind of think about that and then spend a little bit of time in prayer. But as you continue to think about that, we're just going to sing uh, number 473 from the, from the hymn books. Brother, sister, let me serve you. This song about us putting our faith into action and, um, and acting with compassion and seeking justice, four, seven, three.
So, um, so just very briefly, loads of ways in which you can uh, join with us in, uh, in working towards our dream of a world without poverty. Um, just three things I want to, to mention. Um, one is that um, you might want to give uh, some money, so that's like obviously an important uh, thing that helps us do what we do. Um, and uh, if that's a one-off thing, then that's fantastic. You might want to give regularly, and if you do, then I've got um, some envelopes uh, where you can sign up to give regularly uh, through your bank account. That would be something fantastic if you'd like to do that. Um, also, in, the, in a couple of weeks, in the build-up to Christian Aid Week, uh, Miriam and Jill, together with Christine, the local Methodist minister, are going to be doing something called Live Below the Line, where they're going to be living uh, for five days on a pound a day their food and drink, which I know from personal experience, because did it two years ago, is very challenging. And um, they'll be looking for sponsorship, so if you'd like to sponsor them to do that, then that would be, that would be brilliant as well. Um, there are some uh, little bags at the back, um, some uh, little paper bags, and they contain our resources, just uh, five or six different bits of resources, so if you want to find out more, then do take one of those bags. And, um, and also continue to support Tradecraft. Uh, Tradecraft is, uh, is an organization that Christian Aid helped to establish many years ago, and Tradecraft is having a massive impact in, uh, in doing many of the things that I talked about this morning in partnering with, uh, with people all over the world and helping to transform lives. So uh, a wonderful organization to support. So lots of different ways to, to support Christian Aid through giving, through campaigning, and through praying, and there more information about that in the Bible, and obviously do chat to me afterwards. Just wanted to finish, though, um, before we sing our final hymn, just by um, playing one more video. It's, it's, it's a song, and there are some images uh, that a colleague of mine put, put together from her visit to Colombia um, in the autumn, which is one of the focus countries for Christian Aid Week this year. And it's a song called Holy Ground, and this is my final plug, I promise. I've got some CDs with the song on. It's just a three-track CD that myself and two colleagues put together a few weeks ago. And um, we're suggesting a donation of £5 if you'd like one of these CDs and all the money we've made it totally for free in our spare time. So if you'd like one of those to, to support us, then that would be great. This track, Holy Ground, is just exploring the idea that, that God invites us to stand with, with people in need. And as you listen to this song, I just invite you, you might want to pray about some of the things we've thought about this morning. You might want to think about this week and the people in need you'll come into contact with. Just think about what it means for us to take God's presence into, into their situations and to stand with them. So I'll just pray very briefly and then um, and if we play the video and just use this time just to think about, like I say, what we've thought about already or maybe the situations you're going to go into this week. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you invite us to work with you in, in making this world a fairer place. And as we listen to this music and look at these images, whether we're thinking about people in faraway countries, or whether we're thinking about friends or family, or the people we're going to come into contact with this week here in Lenton or in Nottingham, we pray that you would move us and stir us. So like we read from James, we're not just thinking nice thoughts, but we're doing things that really make a difference. Help us to take your presence wherever we go.
So this week, may you know more and more of God's unconditional love pouring into you, that it might overflow onto all those you come into contact with, so that you may bring hope and peace and love and justice wherever you go. In Jesus' name, amen.